I'm Hannah Young, and you're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Isnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Today, I might even say good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, my guest is Tom Moore. He's a former captain in the Australian Army who co-founded WithYouWithMe.com which assists veterans, military spouses, neurodivergent individuals, indigenous people, and other underserviced groups in transitioning to the new digital career era. So we're going to hear a little bit about his journey, about his organization, and about the state of recruitment. Welcome to The Caring Economy, Tom Moore. Hey, too. How are you, mate? I'm well, thanks. I guess today we're getting you in London. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. First, Tom, as we always do, let's start with you and your life story. How how did you, where'd you grow up? How'd you get educated? How'd you find your career path and maybe share some bumps or mentors that you encountered along the way? Sure. Like I sort of can describe my story in two ways. One, I hate injustice. So my whole life is built around that. And secondly, uh, catastrophic failure. Most of my life has been a catastrophic failure. I'm from, a, I'm from Australia, but my family's actually from the UK. They got sent to Australia on the second fleet. So a convict fleet. They're from York in the UK, and we served for about 150 years in the British military as warriors. And my great-great-great-grandfather got sick of, I guess, injustice after being a warrior, became a barrister, started getting people off transportation to Australia, and then they sent him as a convict for getting too many people off. So we ended up poor back in Australia, uh, living in country Victoria. My family in Australia joined the military again. Uh, fought in the Boer War, World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. So by the time I was 18, I can continue to be a knucklehead and do silly things, or I could do what everyone else in my family has done for 300 years on my mum's side and take these things that make me a monster and act fortuitously. I ended up joining the army because, like everyone else, I hate injustice and I really don't like bullies or processes or systems that hold people back that don't let them play equally. So I'm quite comfortable in bullying a bully. I'm quite comfortable in neutralizing a bully. So you know, the only place that you can go where you're, where you're good at fighting, but you can break rules, which I do a lot, and uh, fight injustice is the army. So I joined the army as a rifleman um, when I was 18. Did about three years as a rifleman, did my degree at night in business. And Mustang across and became a um, infantry officer. And then at 22, led a 60-man combat team in Afghanistan, uh, where 20 of my soldiers were American and 40 were Australian. Found that I was really, really good at abstract problems with little resources and little oversight and realized that the only thing I wanted to be in life was a warrior. Uh, so that's the sort of first part which is focused on injustice. And then unfortunately at 25, 26, I came back from Afghanistan, got told I'd never walk again. That sort of broke me in half. I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to not walk again. Uh, paid for stem cell, walked again, took 12 months of rehab where I was three to four hours every day doing rehabilitation and then got all the way back to running and walking, but I couldn't fight anymore. So the army kicked me out and I was unemployed not really anywhere to live at 26. It was a catastrophic failure. If you don't mind my asking, what led to the, um, the walking challenge? You were in a, a mind situation or? 
No, no, no. Like a, I have a, it's just a significantly, uh, it's just a hereditary uh, disease. And it was just out of nowhere. I guess it was like the epitome of maybe, you know, maybe sort of like an athlete being great at what they do. And then I guess having a freak accident and then their whole identity sort of goes away. So uh, it was an extremely traumatic time. And then I got out of the army and no one wanted to hire me. I applied for hundreds of jobs and did 15 interviews and got nowhere. I, I really share your, your just your hatred for injustice. I like your metaphor of the warrior. So it sounds like you're now still the warrior, but you're the warrior for perhaps a disenfranchised or those who may have been otherwise left behind in their careers. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. Like, so I, I did 200 interviews and, you know, I came second at university and second at our version of West Point in Australia. All right. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I wasn't, I don't think I'm dumb. I work very hard. I don't really like, I don't have hobbies. The only hobby I have is like messing with the simulation. So I like messing with people that take rules too seriously. It drives me up the wall. Like I, have 50, I work with 15 lawyers in my company and they all drive me wild. They're always reinforcing and writing rules, but then, then they never read the rules. And if you read the rules, it's like, well, you don't need to do that anyway. I, the, the sort of thing for me was I was sitting there and I was getting interviewed for a security guard position. And in my last job in the military, I was managing 160 and I had a degree in business. And you know, I was in there, I couldn't get a job as a security guard. And I, and I asked this person, you know, why, why aren't you employing me as a security guard at like a quarter of the wage I used to be on? And uh, she looked at me and said, you know, 23 years old, you don't have any financial services security experience. And I'm like, I don't, I asked her, I go, well, you know, I don't think banks are different to other organizations and buildings that a security guard secures. And fundamentally at that point, I realized there was something really wrong. Mm. Like it, it's it's not, you know, if I'm going to have this problem, then maybe people that are less educated, less served in the military or have less transferable skills that an officer would have, how are they going to get a job if I can't even get a job for thirty, you know, $35,000 a year as a security guard standing outside a bank? And that's when I realized that there was a huge, huge problem. And the problem was, one, that the technology that underpins the way we allow people to enter the labor market whether they're a veteran, whether they're leaving high school, whether they're leaving college, whether they're coming back from maternity leave or uh, paternity leave, whether their industry's changed and they need a career shift, it is almost impossible to enter the labor market if you don't look like the person you're replacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you don't have the same experience, you don't have the same skills, and this is all underpinned by the resume and CV that was invented by Leonardo da Vinci in 1492. So he didn't have to speak to people at a pub or a bar. He just used to put his resume at the end of the desk and let rich people ask him if they could commission work for him. So we're using this to decide someone's potential. And the answer is we're not deciding someone's potential. We've got a really lazy process of we're going to put a whole bunch of our jobs on the job board. You're going to apply. And for the thousands of apply, we're going to speak to 2%. And the 2% we speak to look exactly like who used to be in the position because we don't want to take any risk. And I sat there and I just thought, this isn't the reason why I fought for the country I live in. And I don't think this problem is just hurting veterans. We have a 39% underemployment rate in Australia. It's very similar to the US, the UK. We have a very underutilized workforce. And the second thing is we're overeducated, but underskilled. So 
you know, it takes about 4.9 years to get a job in Australia if you've got a bachelor's degree. And uh, one in four people now between 21 to 25 are diagnosed with depression. And the answer is they were told that they could get a vocation after doing their degree, but really they just got a degree, which is theory, theoretical knowledge, you know, um, and, and missing skills. So we found out that there was no one training people to be technologists at scale in terms of skills. They were training theory. And the model that was used to highlight um why you should hire someone was based off experience and education. And because that model doesn't work and doesn't produce enough candidates, it's then we hire people that we know. Right. And that then creates a whole bubble of inequality. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm reminded of uh, another interview I did uh, with a tech startup and I'd never heard this expression before, but um, my guest remind, uh, shared the concept of algo bias or algorithm bias. So I agree with it's, there's definitely the human aspect that goes into CVs and the way we traditionally recruit, but then you add in the technology, the algorithms that these boards are using, and that really has bias built into that as well. So, um, so I, 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 I agree with you about the, the system having been faulty. Um, tell us a little bit about how you and your co-founders then took that observation, that reality, that experience and co-founded with you, with me. Yeah, that's a good question. So the next question I asked this recruiter was, you know, do you want to hire veterans? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, why do you want to hire them? And they're like, because they're on time in the discipline. And I'm like, I wasn't even on time today. I, I wasn't on time the whole time I was in the military. I, I don't care if I get in trouble. I, you know, I'm good at sort of fighting. I'm not good at doing drill and being on time. I, I asked her a really simple question. I go, when you pick an accountant to help you do your taxes, do you pick one that gives you the most returns or do you pick the one that's the most boring because the most boring gets you you know is the best accountant right and she's just like uh okay the, the point is you're subjectively describing a whole homogenous group of people on something that's not really true so what we worked out was that the data model that underpins labor market allocation is highly subjective speculative and it's being decided by the wrong people you know one solution is to build a big data ai solution that takes someone's resume and finds someone similar in the organization and then matches them and says, you're a fit for us, right? Mm. And the problem is you can lie on your resume. Two, there's not enough technologists. So all they're really solving is, how do I find the one technologist faster than my competitor? Mm -hmm. So um, that doesn't increase inclusion, cognitive diversity. Uh, it It doesn't solve the problem that, it won't solve your wage spiking problem because it's just the same people getting traded faster. Mm-hmm. So what we said to this person was, we realized really simply that the model wasn't objective. The military is a fantastic place because you do testing. They tell you what jobs you can do. You pick your job, then you lose all your privileges and you got to earn them back. And then you learn skills and then you perform in a team. And all of a sudden you get a really group of ordinary people come together with skills and do extraordinary things for the mm-hmm. first time without, you know, I would say an adult sort of education model. So what we said was, well, there's something going on. It's going to be too hard to get people to hire veterans based off their potential. Why don't we just make every veteran we meet a software developer? And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we make them a software developer. We use the dynamics of the labor market to get people jobs. So, and the reason we did that is the, the vision that we wanted, which is a 30 year vision of, we want the, the, we want to solve underemployment by helping get um, 
hired, promoted, developed based off their potential, which we define as aptitude and skills, mm-hmm. nothing else. Um, your aptitude from about year nine maths and English can be tested. So, you know, you only need to do up to year nine to get aptitude test that's accurate across the full spectrum of adult skills. Um, so that means that all of those groups that don't, don't get to finish college, don't get to finish school because they're from different areas they're from rough parts of town, all that sort of stuff, it becomes much more accessible and we can assess much more of the workforce. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when we built that, no one wanted to buy it. So what we had to do was, let's just make every veteran we made a software developer. And then what ended up happening was you realized technology training that we bought off the shelf was bad. It was, it would teach you how to drive one car on one road. So it was a product-based training model. It didn't really teach you how to drive a car on any road and fix any car at any time. Mm-hmm. So we realized a lot of technology training was flawed. Um, so we built our own. And for three years, we sucked at it. And then eventually we have now 42 courses that um, can get you up to a grad cert level or an advanced diploma. Mm-hmm. And we teach you how to do the job with skills over software versus software and learning it gives you skills. Mm-hmm. So we did that. And then we realized that not everyone was good at certain jobs. So we built our own aptitude test. And over five years, we've gotten extraordinarily good at picking out what careers you're matched to, good and bad, mm-hmm. why you're matched to them based off the ability to learn the key skills within that career. And the great thing about aptitude testing is you test once for match forever. You never need to submit another resume. You never need to submit another job application because jobs, companies, courses come to you based off your aptitude. We built all of these veterans and no one wanted to hire them. So they had no experience because they had no experience. And we went, well, this is annoying. Yeah. Uh, so we just went, well, we're going to beat you system integrator tech company for the work you're going after. So we became a services business that produced what we call squads, which are groups of veterans going in and doing a company's tech work outsourced to them. And we started to win in a big way. Uh, we're the fastest growing company in the Southern Hemisphere, won the Deloitte 500 yeah. by growing about 13,000% revenue in a year. Now, what ended up happening is we produced so many results delivering these things, we started to build our own skills tests so we wouldn't need to actually compete in order to get our technologists deployed because we'd come into an organization like we need six years experience and we skill test their engineers and all of a sudden, maybe they weren't that good at engineering and software development. So now we have a granular look at their skills and our talent is sitting here, which is you know in comparison to someone with six years experience because they were never trained properly. And then all of these organizations started to buy our software. And what fundamentally underpin our model, which no one else did, is we never charged a veteran, an unemployed or an unemployed person a cent. And we still don't to this day. And the reason is um, we took a bet that if the military can create soldiers in 80 days and help people pick careers and train them in an, uh, a vocational trade school learning model versus a, uh, an academic theoretical model, we can produce a software much developer much quicker. Uh, and at the end of the day, the market is so scarce that someone is going to try this. So we're not going to charge the people in need. That mm-hmm. model doesn't scale. Mm-hmm. Um, boot camps can't, can't get past 400, 600 people a year because they're too expensive. And a lot of people aren't doing them because they aren't linked to employment. And then you look at, okay, well, you know, I'm a single mum or a single parent. How the hell am I going to afford an $18,000 boot camp? Do that full time. It's not accessible either. So what we did was something alternatively. We said, do your aptitude test first, figure out what you're great at so you don't waste any time. Yep. So you figure out you can be a technologist. Two, 
Access all of our training self-paced online through a bootcamp and never pay a cent and there's no obligations. And we'll take the risk of onboarding large enterprises and helping them change. And then over the course of, you know, last year alone, we got 5,196 people a job with an average salary of around, you know, 90,000 USD and none of them have any experience in technology. And those 5,000 plus that placed last year, how many more were there that are still going through the training process approximately? Like how many lives? Uh, we we certify the, you know, impact business model. So I'm a veteran. I'm someone that's neurodivergent. I'm someone um, that's unemployed or underemployed. I'm someone uh, that might have lost my job in maternity leave. I'm someone that's a refugee or migrant that's getting stuck. We we certify roughly around 1,500 people a month, you know, and it's trending up. Oh, sorry, a quarter, sorry, and it's trending up. So, you know, this time last year, we were certifying about 500 a quarter. So you see your business starting to traject. And the reason we can do that is every software sort of license we sell to a company so they can access our graduates or access our aptitude testing to build and reskill their own workforce, we train 10 people for free. And because we train 10 people for free, we can add more seats. So last year I could train 10,000 people for free. This year I can train 40,000 people for free globally um, and do that forever, which is really cool. So that means what's really cool for our customers is not only do they solve their digital skill need, they, and increase their diversity from a cognitive perspective and a number of other avenues, they also invest in the next 10 people that are kind of come to them through their program because there's more than there's 10 more people, more people then buy more software because yes. it's there's more talent that's certified, the more customers you acquire. So it becomes like a flywheel of the more good that we do, the more we sell. The more we sell, the more good that we do. And yeah, and then the only reason why we, we were a profitable business was we, we are not good at business in any way. Um, 75% of my staff are graduates from our program. Uh, so it's our first job out of whatever the hell we were in, mostly the military, but we have all different types of people now. Mm-hmm. And, and the only reason we have really good profit margins is the more, the, the more cost efficient we are, the more people we can help. So then we were sort of, we stumbled upon building, I guess, a lucrative business that built an alternative ecosystem to the current labor market. But most importantly, uh, it's never charged anyone a cent uh, we're big believers in that everyone could be a technologist and that fundamentally we think that this model will not only replace crappy German HR software, which is everywhere at the moment because it's got no taste and it's boring, uh, it'll remove the resume and it'll it'll hopefully get to the market from treating people as a commodity to an asset. Yeah. And the reason you could treat people as an asset, if your skills change in your organization, you never need to retest their aptitude. You can just see if they're a match to the next skill. So um, all of a sudden your people can be part of the planning model versus an afterthought below the line commodity. And that's what I think the real problem is. Yeah, amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, again, today on The Caring Economy, we have Tom Moore. He's a former Australian army captain who co-founded with you, with me, a really disruptive workforce technology platform for recruitment. Tom, um, can you talk a little bit about the demographics? You started out with more of a veterans focus, but you, you're dealing with everyone that in yeah. communities from indigenous folks, veterans, refugees, neurodiverse. Give us a sense of who's, who's your demographic. Uh, so I think about 65% of our users or people that we're helping, uh, you would consider uh, military members or their family members. So if you're a, a veteran or a serving member, wherever you are, 
your family can access our training too. Because one of the big things we noticed was it was really hard to connect if you're away for a long time. Uh, and, and upskilling together with your teenage kids can be a great way of doing it. The second group of people we help in a big way is military spouses, where there is a, you know, about 72% of them are female, uh, mainly because most of the military is a male. Uh, and we're starting to really help women that have been stuck in casualized work due to their location shifts get their first tech career. So that's roughly about 25% of now users on our platform. We've opened up about 5,000 free training seats to people that identify as neurodivergent. Uh, so, you know, there's a number of categories, but pretty simply, or if you've autistic, ADHD or dyslexia, we've now been testing people and there are some very unique differences mm-hmm. um, and it really blows people's mind. So, you know, a lot of people want to hire someone that has Asperger's or who's autistic and they're like, we want them to do data engineering. I'm like, not everyone that's autistic is a rain man or woman. I go, look, I go, what do you mean? I go, well, three out of my 10 account executives are autistic. And you're telling me they don't have EQ. No, their actual, their makeup is one of the strongest things they're in isn't um, numerical reasoning and spatial awareness, which are great for data engineering, or some people that are autistic have it. They're actually highest in comprehension and verbal reason. So they're actually brilliant at articulation and listening and talking. And everyone, you say that about someone that's autistic, like that doesn't make any sense. But right. really... Um, if you look at their, the, the difference in the why their neurodivergent is their brain is really strong in certain categories versus, you know, broad overall. And it, that doesn't just mean everyone's a data person. So that sort of annoyed me. So I wanted to help change the rain man, rain woman idea um, because I was watching all these people that weren't good at mathematics that had autism not get a job. The same with people that were dyslexic. Then we started to help those that are the First Nations in Australia and Canada. And recently, we just started helping people that that have migrated out of Afghanistan because, you know, 75% of my workforce has served there. It's very, I guess, personal to us. We want to be the whole thing. Our model is scalable to everyone and anyone. Fundamentally, what I've found really interesting is I've started to, we've started to help in Canada, youth justice centers, people getting repatriated from the prison system. One of the things I'm a big believer in is, so for the last seven years, we've been studying potential, right? Aptitude, personality, skills, everything that that makes up because as veterans, we, we didn't get accepted by society. So we're trying to figure out why we were not accepted. And on the crux of it, we're an esoteric society that's productive versus a dysfunctional bureaucracy that's egocentric, which is, I would say, the private sector in a lot of ways. And one of the things that we found when we started to work with veterans that may have gone off the track and started to, I don't know, a spiral outside of the safety of society, we found that it was really simple to start to tell people that if you want to work here, it could be your fourth or fifth or sixth chance in life. Not your first, not your second, not your third. Mm-hmm. Everyone be like, what do you mean? I'm, well, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've been a terrible person. I'm seeking atonement. I'm seeking redemption. And they're like, oh, and then they would tell you their life story about what really happened to them. And you go, well, you know, now you're self-aware. Okay. So now that you're self-aware, you know, the greatest potential we found people that came from that part of society had was the potential of their character. Aptitude you can't change. Personality traits somewhat a self-perception, you can't really change them over time. But someone who has lost their way and is seeking redemption, the the optimum productivity comes for people that are rebuilding their character. Mm. So we started to hire people that are from that group 
which traditionally finds it very hard to find employment. And we're now starting to share that story of that last group about the uh, limitless potential of someone's character, which provides a whole nother layer on certain people that may have had it tough and, and have fell through the cracks. Yeah. Or if they made mistakes, they can turn it around. I've seen education programs like we have up where I am, uh, Bard College, which has its Bard Prison Initiative, which is about helping incarcerated people get their degrees, which leads to other things. So I'm glad there's more experimentation like this. I want to ask about some of the corporates you work with. For example, JP Morgan here has a really robust program for veterans. There's an organization called VOWS, Veterans on Wall Street, for veterans yeah. who are on Wall Street. There seem to be a lot of good things happening, but clearly not enough. We still need to have more employment opportunities for folks. Who are some of the corporations you work with that you you would want to shout out and, and why? So you've got Accenture and PwC, yeah. Honeywell. Ernest & Young, I would say, are truly leading. If, if I was to think of corporate partners, Ernest & Young are truly leading in looking at someone's potential. They're one of my biggest customers globally. They helped our business sell our software to every Canadian federal government department without knowing much about us. They've already dropped their degree requirements. They have one of the largest neurodiversity programs getting set up in the world. For me, from a commercial perspective, they're, they're right out there. Northrop Grumman is starting to really go from its hard-nosed engineering culture to being very open-minded on how they upskill and bring in technologists, which is really exciting. I would say those sort of two, and I would even say BAE is really starting to, to come along. Mm-hmm. What, who is taking up more though, and I think this is very important, is public sector government departments. And the reason is I, most people I meet that work for, say, the US government, the Canadian government, the Australian government, the UK government are optimists and idealists. That's why they generally started there. Um, if, if something goes wrong, they become cynical. But, you know, there's a lot more optimists and idealists in those sectors. So I would say 80% of our business of getting people jobs is actually them. They take the most risk on people. They're the most optimistic. And they're looking for people that care about citizens versus profit. Hands down, like Australian Department of Defense is engaging its workforce in extraordinary ways and thousands um, to help people find meaningful work. And they're doing exceptional work. And we don't take any subsidies from any government. And it's all them hiring people from our program and getting results. And I can't see um, any of the corporates we're working with really coming up to the volume and the effort that they're going through to do it. One other question is... Are you only Anglophone or do you have software or services provided in other languages? Or is that something you might be considering? I know English is probably the most commonly used business language, but I'm just curious. The platform is about 90% there with French. This is pretty much, it'll be done, I think, at the end of the, end of this month, fully done. Uh, so there's a lot of half, like I think more than half our courses now are fully translated. The platform is easy to translate. It's more the, 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 the learning style can change. The way you present things can change. So um, the second thing, the the next thing that's coming is Arabic. We'll do Arabic and Pashto at the same time. You know, Pashto is a, a big language from Afghanistan. So we generally follow the impact groups that we're trying to help versus the commercial market that we're going into. Words of advice for young people or people who are maybe mid-career disrupted. Do you have a mantra or anything? I, I mean, you're the warrior, but what do you tell people to when they ask you for advice on career success? Uh, well, you know, like I said, I think most things in my life have been a catastrophic failure. I don't like being an entrepreneur. I hate entrepreneurship. I don't like business. 
Uh, you can't touch it, you can't smell it, you can't lick it. It's not like the army. Unfortunately, I believe in duty. And whether I like it or not, the only way to solve this problem is to do something I really don't like. Now, I respect entrepreneurship after doing what we've done. And you know, the last 18 months alone, we've grown from 50 staff to 550 globally. And, and I have a real appreciation for people that can do it and employ others. And I never never will forget it. There's, there's two reasons why I keep going. It's the same advice I, I sort of give to anyone. If you want to have an impact, be responsible for something. Don't advocate. Go, I want to change that. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to make people more aware. I'm going to be responsible for solving that. And for me, it's been an absolutely traumatic journey of learning how to be a business person, Mm -hmm. Uh, which some things are really similar to the military, but most things are completely different, including operating in a dysfunctional society where values somewhat don't exist. Find something to be responsible for and go into the unknown in order to solve it. That's the first one. The second one, it's okay to be dangerous. It's something that my family are a danger or technically a dangerous people. That's what their occupation was. One of the things I, I say to people, it's it's okay to be a monster and act virtuously. It's okay to be dangerous, but keep your sword sheathed. It's extremely hard to fight injustice if you think people are going to be nice to you about it because Point. someone's ben- someone's benefiting off the injustice. That's why it exists. Someone's making money Correct. off it. So if you don't think you're going to have to kill the dragon to find the gold, then you're in the wrong game. So for me, is it, I'm trying to help a lot of young people. It's okay to be dangerous. It's okay to fight back. As long as your virtues are there, you don't have to massacre everyone in order to do it. They just need to know that you're not to be messed with. Yes. Um, and I think that's really lost from young men and women from who started our company. Like a lot of people now are joining our company at 18, 19. Um, instead of going to university, they're coming here and learning a trade and then starting with us. And you know, one of the things, it's okay to stand up for what you believe in. It's okay to fight injustice. It's okay whether you're a man or woman to want to be a warrior. And it's okay um, to do all those things as long as you act virtuously, not maliciously. Yes. Okay. So be responsible, walk softly with a big gun is something we used to say in the military. Awesome. Tom Moore, thank you so much for joining us today on The Caring Economy. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Moore, former Aussie Army captain, as we've heard, and co-founder of With You, With Me, the really great disruptive workforce technology platform for recruitment. Tom, if we want to find you, it's uh, withyouwithme.com or any other channels. That's it. Just go withyouwithme.com. If you're one of those groups, you can sign up and get straight involved in training straight away. Whether you're Onward and upward, my friend. Thank you so much. Because someone's ben- someone's benefiting off the injustice. That's why it exists. Someone's making money Correct. off it. So if you don't think you're going to have to kill the dragon to find the gold, then you're in the wrong game. Yeah. And um, so for me, is it, I'm trying to help a lot of young people. It's okay to be dangerous. It's okay to um, fight back. As long as your virtues are there and you don't, you know, you don't, you don't have to massacre everyone in order to do it. They just need to know that you're not to be messed with. Um, and I think that's really lost from young men and women from who started our company. Like a lot of people now joining our company at 18, 19, 
um, instead of going to university, they're coming here and learning a trade and then starting with us. And you know, one of the things, it's okay to stand up for what you believe in. It's okay to fight injustice. It's okay whether you're a man or woman to want to be a warrior. And it's okay um, to do all those things as long as you act virtuously, not maliciously. Yes. Okay. So be responsible and walk softly with a big gun is something we used to say in the military. Awesome. Tom Moore, thank you so much for joining us today on The Caring Economy. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Moore, former Aussie Army captain, as we've heard, and co-founder of With You, With Me, the really great disruptive workforce technology platform for recruitment. Tom, if we want to find you, it's uh, withyouwithme.com or any other yep. channels. That's it. Just go on withyouwithme.com. If you're one of those groups, you can sign up and get straight involved in training straight away. Whether you're in- Onward and upward, my friend. Thank you so much. Easy. Thank you for your time. Because someone's ben- someone's benefiting off the injustice. That's why it exists. Someone's making money Correct. off it. So if you don't think you're going to have to kill the dragon to find the gold, then you're in the wrong game. Yeah. And um, so for me, is it, I'm trying to help a lot of young people. It's okay to be dangerous. It's okay to um, fight back. As long as your virtues are there and you don't, you know, you don't, you don't have to massacre everyone in order to do it. They just need to know that you're not to be messed with. Yes. Um, and I think that's really lost from young men and women from who started our company. Like a lot of people now joining our company at 18, 19, um, instead of going to university, they're coming here and learning a trade and then starting with us. And you know, one of the things, it's okay to stand up for what you believe in. It's okay to fight injustice. It's okay whether you're a man or woman to want to be a warrior. And it's okay um, to do all those things as long as you act virtuously, not maliciously. Yes. Okay. So be responsible and walk softly with a big gun is something we used to say in the military. Awesome. Tom Moore, yeah. thank you so much for joining us today on The Caring Economy. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Moore, former Aussie Army captain, as we've heard, and co-founder of With You, With Me, the really great disruptive workforce technology platform for recruitment. Tom, if we want to find you, it's uh, withyouwithme.com or any other yep. channels. That's it. Just go on withyouwithme.com. If you're one of those groups, you can sign up and get straight involved in training straight away. Whether you're in- Onward and upward, my friend. Thank you so much. Easy. Thank you for your time. Because someone's ben- someone's benefiting off the injustice. That's why it exists. Someone's making money Correct. off it. So if you don't think you're going to have to kill the dragon to find the gold, then you're in the wrong game. Yeah. And um, so for me, is it, I'm trying to help a lot of young people. It's okay to be dangerous. It's okay to um, fight back as long as your virtues are there. And you don't, you know, you don't, you don't have to massacre everyone in order to do it. They just need to know that you're not to be messed with. Yes. Um, and I think that's really lost from young men and women from who started our company. Like a lot of people now joining our company at 18, 19, um, instead of going to university, they're coming here and learning a trade and then starting with us. And you know, one of the things, it's okay to stand up for what you believe in. It's okay to fight injustice. It's okay whether you're a man or woman to want to be a warrior. And it's okay... Um, to do all those things as long as you act virtuously, not maliciously. Yes. Okay. So be responsible and walk softly with a big gun is something we used to say in the military. Awesome. 
Tom Moore, thank you so much for joining us today on The Caring Economy. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Moore, former Aussie Army captain, as we've heard, and co-founder of With You, With Me, the really great disruptive workforce technology platform for recruitment. Tom, if we want to find you, it's uh, withyouwithme.com or any other yep. channels. That's it. Just go on withyouwithme.com. If you're one of those groups, you can sign up and get straight involved in training straight away. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at T Usnick or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing the caring economy with your friends and colleagues.